Hey, Slingers, the first official Wordslinger podcast from the road, and we are going to be talking to Casey Barrett, so stick around for that interview coming up next. Hey, sometimes it's hard to know where to start when you're building and growing your indie author career, and that's why I have put together something just for you. Me and my partner, Roland Denzel, have created Indie Author Blueprint. So hop over to IndieAuthorBlueprint.com, start learning about all the ways you can build and grow your own indie author career, and we'll be right there with you all the way. See you there, IndieAuthorBlueprint.com. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Well, I am Kevin Thomason, the Word Slinger, and I'm a Word Slinger from the road right now. We are, uh, Kara and I have finally pulled, uh, pulled the, uh, I guess pulled the string, pulled the ripcord. <laughs> we've, uh, we've exited normal, everyday, uh, hanging around a house life, and we're out on the road in our, uh, tiny little camper. A little 19-foot travel trailer. So, we're gonna try this out for a while. Uh, if you listened in on, uh, the author on the road episode last time number 212 um that was uh <laughs> broke down some of what we're going to be doing here and it's been interesting um one of the challenges is internet so uh i still haven't worked all that out yet we got a few options nothing's perfect uh if i already had some glitches some very frustrating times uh, just not sure what we're going to do yet, but uh, working on it. So, if you have suggestions, by the way, let me know. I have tried. Um, I've got multiple uh, hot LTE hotspots. I've got uh, boosters. I've got all kinds of stuff. And so far, um, eh. <laughs> so far, uh, modest luck, we'll say. Well, today we're talking to author Casey Barrett. Uh, now, he is a crime novelist. He's also a Canadian Olympian and uh, the co-founder and co-CEO of Imagine Swimming, which is New York's largest learn-to-swim school, which I think I actually read this exact bio <laughs> in the interview. But uh, I just thought this was really interesting, and uh, this was a great interview. Uh, it's been on tap for a while now, and thanks to all the pandemics and movings and uh relocatings and all the stuff that's been going on uh i am only just now getting to it it's gonna be a lot of these so without further ado let's jump into this interview with casey barrett i think you're gonna enjoy it stick around and uh, see what happens on the other side see you there hey everybody thank you for tuning in to another uh word slinger interview uh, and today we're talking to casey barrett uh there's a lot I could say. You've got an interesting bio, man. Uh, you've uh, you've got Canadian uh, Canadian. That isn't the important part of the sentence. You've got Olympian connections. It may be important to you, actually. The Canadian part may be more important than the Olympic part, for all I know. Equally important. <laughs> Equally important uh, to our Canadian listeners. It's very important. So, uh, how are you, Casey? I'm glad to have you on the show. Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me today. So you, uh, I do want to kind of talk about you know, your background in history, you've, you've got, uh, you do a lot of 
swim related stuff actually and uh, that was your kind of role in the olympics right yeah yeah i was uh in the 96 olympics uh for uh the canadian team and uh swimming has kind of been for better or worse my identity uh in one way or another um <laughs> my whole life my my company when i'm not writing it's called imagine swimming it's a swim school in new york city yeah and that's, uh, an, that's pretty interesting on its own by the way um because that's, that's the last thing anybody thinks of when they think of New York city is, uh, swim schools. Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, I guess that was a, a, a benefit, uh, for us that, uh, there, there wasn't, there's, there's, I'm not gonna say there wasn't competition, but it was an underserved market. Um, my, uh, my buddy and I, Lars, uh, launched it in 2002. Mm-hmm. So we're all over 17 years old, which is really surreal. Some of the first kids we ever taught are now in college. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're feeling the years. And the protagonist of your series uh, is is a swimmer or was, was a swimmer. Yeah, he's he's. Uh, I, I describe him as a uh, kind of a, a son of a Madoff. Um, he's a, a fallen rich kid um, okay. with a father who was uh, Bernie Madoff esque, um, who uh, was very rich and very crooked and ripped off a lot of people. And uh, my protagonist Duck uh, fell far from I'd say from the low, upper east to the lower east. Um, the Upper East Side to the Lower East Side. Um, when he was in high school, and that kind of put all his uh, Olympic dreams or presumptions on uh, on hold. And um, yeah, it, 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 I mean, any kid uh, it, that happens, to any kid, you're going to go go sideways. Um, and he he went sideways and ended up doing time for dealing weed, which I find very ironic now that it's uh, more yeah. or less illegal substance. Um, but but not so long ago, uh, it, it wasn't and a lot of people went to jail for uh, for that, which is yeah absurd. But um, which is, yeah, is a little absurd. But they, but that makes for an interesting kind of surreal twist uh, that you could bring into the books. Have you have you played around with that at all? Like the irony of going to jail for something that now, now well the dealing part's still not legal. But yeah, I mean, and well that's um, the um, my third book. Uh, like I said, before you started recording, I just got the uh, hardcovers in the mail. Yes. Uh, um, comes out August 27th. But um, my protagonist, Duck, is, um, he, I mean, he doesn't admit it to himself, but is, is, a, is a heavy drinker, full alcoholic in the first two books. And the third book finds him uh, admitting that uh, he, needs, uh, he needs to take a break, at very least, uh, from the bottle. So he's on, quote, the weed cure. And um, he, he recognizes the irony that, um, you know, he's a convicted felon for dealing weed. And now it's, it's kind of the thing that saved him. Um, he's, he's clean, so to speak, but he um, just smokes weed. And it's, it's a little bit funny. I, um, I've probably, I can name half a dozen friends, um, some very close friends who are on quote, the weed cure. Um, who, yeah for whatever reason it uh, hit the bottle a little too hard and now are, are clean in all ways and have um, great cleaned up lives, but are committed uh, pot smokers. Wow. So um, I, I'm, I'm not my, myself. Um, I mean, I, I smoke a little bit, but not, um, I, I wouldn't say I'm on <laughs> the weed cure or anything like that, but <laughs> I, I, I find it really, really fascinating, particularly this, uh, day and age when it's um, steadily becoming more and more legalized and more and more socially acceptable um, yeah. that, uh, you know, a substance that not so long ago was uh, 
sending a lot of people to prison. And now it's, it's saving a lot of people from much, much worse addictions. Yeah. Uh, I am obviously fascinated by it. It is kind of interesting to watch as people sort of fall all over themselves, uh, sort of, you know, what is, what is your opinion on this? What, you know, what is your practice on this? You know, should it be legal? Should it, should it remain illegal? And then, you know, as states start to say, uh, basically open the doors a little, it's interesting to watch people kind of fall all over themselves about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I mean, I, I kind of have a libertarian streak over, over that yeah. stuff, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm a father, I have an eight year old daughter and I, I, look at things I think a little more realistically as a parent where yeah. not saying, you know, legalize everything and, and throw caution to the wind. I mean, I think it's, it's something that should be regulated. Regulated. It's, right. It's I'm, a, I'm on board with that. But, uh, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot healthier than cigarettes or bourbon. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. But don't take my bourbon. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, your protagonist aside from being a, a former swimmer and a, a rich kid and a felon and he's very he's a very rich character by the way and i mean i mean that as layered uh he has an interesting job you want to talk a little about the i mean i, mean, I want to hear like your the origins of uh, your decision or what he yeah. does for a living <laughs> yeah i'd love to, to chat about it well he um i mean in in terms of um career i guess it's a very loose word he's an unlicensed private investigator although he um he he bristles at the word private eye he, in the first book he refers to private eyes as being a uh, um passe um which is kind of just a my own private uh, dig at the genre i'm writing in <laughs> right <laughs> because, right you know admittedly he has a lot of the uh the tropes of uh of the genre which i i like i mean i love reading private eye books and i yeah. like the you know, the loner, hard drinking, um, and, and these, these are cliches and, um, you know, r rather than pretend they're not there, I, I, I have some fun addressing them head on, um, yeah. and, and hopefully tweaking them a little bit. Um, but he, because he's a convicted felon, he can't be, uh, licensed. Um, so he's an, he's an unlicensed finder. He calls himself rather than a, than a private investigator, but because of his unique, um, background once being a rich kid and falling far he's in a uh, in a little bit of a privileged place in terms of uh, the kind of clients that seek him out um, and I think it's it's an, an accurate representation of um, this kind of unique breed of Manhattan rich people who um, will only trust their own in, in a certain respect but also um, feel comfortable um, that duck the protagonist was once a part of their their class and is no longer. So yeah. there's a sense of being able to look down on him a little bit, but also there's a sense of being able to trust him with their dark, dirty secrets because he was he was once, you know, part of that that privileged class. And yeah. these are folks that would be horrified to go to the police. They're not they're, these aren't people that would go official channels. Right. Um, just just before we um, we, we started talking, I've like I think a million New Yorkers or maybe all over the country. I'm obsessed with this Jeffrey Epstein uh, case. Yeah. Which it feels like the, uh, the ultimate law and order SVU. <laughs> he's just such an unbelievably horrifying character, but he's, you know, he, it's you know, maybe you have to live in Manhattan to, to believe that these 
these people exist. <laughs> that no, so, I, so yeah. shameless and get away with it for so long. Right. And be so evil. It's, it's, I mean, I, I'm so far down the rabbit hole reading everything I possibly can on this, yeah. uh, this scumbag that it's see that's it, research though man those, <laughs> yeah, I those guess. are characters no I'm, I'm constantly shocked at like i cannot invent characters who can compete with some of the real world people floating around out there like there, you think that there's no possible way that this could be a real human being yeah it has to be somebody who's made up and then you know there they are tracing yeah. through a courtroom or something well the, <laughs> so. uh, the, the new yorker had this uh um, column that, that came out today. I mean, everyone's weighing in on, on this guy, but they, uh, they mentioned that his, his like broad strokes of his, uh, his bio, just in terms of who he's hung out with, President yeah. Trump, President Clinton, Prince Andrew, blah, blah, blah. And the fact that he owns a private island, the Caribbean, like all this stuff is, it wouldn't even get past like scripts in, uh, no. in a scripted no. <laughs> crime drama. Like it, it's just too, too perfect right. and too over the top. It's, it defies all belief, but yet this is this is really this guy's life, and this is post conviction. He's, yeah. he's been a registered sex offender for twelve years, and he's yeah. Still, yeah. I have I, literally had people criticize characters I created as unrealistic who didn't have half of this guy's like yeah. qualities. Yeah, you know. So yeah, it's a that's a little. It is it's intriguing. I mean. He's, he's doing a favor to, uh, to all fiction writers because exactly. any time that anyone lays that on us that, that it was unbelievable character, we can all point to Jeffrey Epstein and say, right. oh, no, they're, they're real. <laughs> These are real people. They really exist. Yeah. That's uh, like my wife and I were watching an episode of 2020, and there's this actor who murdered uh, his neighbor who was like an uh, ex- special forces guy murdered, murdered him and then murdered the girl that, uh, that he had a kind of relationship with in order to cover it up to make it look like he'd killed the girl and run. Yeah. And I'm like, this is straight out of a thriller novel, like yeah. this cheesy. And the guy was such a cheesy actor. Like <laughs> while they were questioning him, he was being dramatic and he's in the role. <laughs> yeah. He's in the role. It's like, wow, people like this actually exist. So yeah. did, is that part of, I mean, I know this guy's not, but, uh, you know, what, how did you research your character? And, uh, you know, I know part of this because he's a swimmer. So you've got that perspective. Are you a rich kid too? Did you? Uh... No. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, I, I think a big part of it was related to my, um, my day job, so to speak, um, running the, the swimming school where I've, um, you know, but seen up close and, and personal the uh, the ways of, of these kind of uh, families in, yeah. in New York City. And yeah. by and large, they're, you know, our, I'm not going to criticize our, our client base that um, and makes our business, but, uh, you know, they're by and large, they're, they're good people, but, but you do see some, uh, some really, really twisted ones. And mm -hmm. um, in fact, the, uh, the Madoff children were uh, were clients. Um, they they sent their kids, so Bernie Madoff's grandkids uh, swam with us for a little while. And oh wow, okay, it's, it's a really it's it couldn't be more tragic what happened to both his his boys. I mean, one of them yeah. committed suicide. It's just yeah. it's so so horrible. But um, it it really I I don't mean to keep going back to Madoffs because I think my my character is well, they're fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's somewhat uh, separate from that, but it was a huge inspiration. I and it was like the Jeffrey Epstein case, the the Madoff case. Um, 
completely obsessed me and I couldn't stop reading about it years ago. Um, and it, it really informed, uh, it really informed the character and just, just being a New Yorker for over 20 years is, you know, I, I, I hope that the city itself is, is a character because, yeah. uh, it's, it's such a part of, uh, of Duck's well, identity. My yeah, own. it has, um, unlike any other city I've been to, uh, New York definitely has that energy like you you know and there's a reason why like every other film says new york is a character in this film you know uh it 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 is it does play that part like in a unique way that you can't get from you know boise or (laughs) or houston or whatever some kind of uh living beast underneath this uh island of manhattan that uh i don't know i don't know what it is but well now we're talking uh epic fantasy story now (laughs) It's a modern day fantasy story. There's a living creature uh, in New York City. Hey, man. All right. Okay. I haven't written fantasy in years, but maybe uh, dust that off. Um, so, okay, you're up to you're up to three books now. You just got the hardcover. You want to show everybody the hardcover? Yeah, yeah. I got Hold it, it up. Yesterday comes out August. Look at that. There it is. Oh, I yeah, talked over it. Hold on. Let me be silent and you hold in, hold up and say something about it. And people, people All right. Um, comes out August 27th, The Tower of Songs, the third book in the Duck Darley series. Um, this one um, focuses on the super talls, um, these, um, these so-called super talls that are currently scarring the skyline of Manhattan. Um, they're, they're termed super talls because they're over a thousand feet and yeah basically the world's biggest uh, money laundering scheme hiding in most obnoxious plain sight possible. Um, they, uh, they sit empty. Almost all of them are empty and all of them are bought with anonymous LLCs. And um, I just think it's, um, it's one of the most um, remarkable things in, uh, in New York today because it's corruption. It's so hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Um, so the, the book itself starts, the, uh, the prologue is um, the guy who lives at the very, very top. So no one's ever lived higher. No one's ever lived in a home higher that looks down on quite literally everything. Um, the guy who lives at the very top is, uh, is um, abducted. Um, he's, he's taken out of his uh, apartment at the very top floor and um, drugged and taken out the front door in a wheelchair with a hood over his head. And um, that sets the uh, the mystery in in motion. All right, that's a, that's a fair start. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting, by the way. That the I've heard of I've heard of the super talls, and I've heard of you know I've watched some things about uh, the corruption involved. It's really interesting because there's so much happening behind the scenes there that we just we're just never going to know. Yeah. You know? And you never, well, actually this, I was, I'm sort of like reading, reaching for books all over the place. Um, <laughs> As authors do. This book, <laughs> Wonderland, I was reading on the, on my flight uh, two days ago. I don't read a ton of uh, nonfiction, but this one, the sub, the subhead is why thieves and crooks now rule the world and how to take it back. Um, but it's, it's essentially gives you the whole history of quote offshore money and how post-World War II um, it was created and a very, very small um, group of bankers in London who created this, this term offshore that set world finances free. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that really has enabled things like these super talls to go up because you just layer anonymous LLC, anonymous LLC over all different um, countries. And generally they're small sovereign states of like 
Nevis in the Caribbean, um, Jersey off the coast of uh, England, um, Gibraltar, Gibraltar. There's there's a whole bunch of them, and really just tiny tiny little so-called countries that accept doing this uh, this business in order to stay uh, um, stay solvent. Um, it's the only way they can <laughs> they can they create an industry for themselves, and the yeah. the industry is a very good one because you facilitate billionaires. Uh, secret deals and yeah. the point is that um you know money can travel freely all over the world it there's no borders but laws there are borders and it's in that that dichotomy that allows the the, the dirty money in the world which people estimate conservatively is 10 percent of all the money in the world is black black market dirty money um i think it's wow. probably higher than that but it's yeah. still astonishing you're talking trillions of dollars and it's it moves through the world and is able to be laundered cleanly through this this scheme um, because it's impossible to prosecute. You can't even track down who actually owns what. And um, I, I kind of look to the these super tall buildings in, in Midtown on Billionaires Row as kind of the the ultimate end end game of, yeah. of this this reality. That <laughs> what happens when you need to clean hundreds of millions of dollars? Well. You create a thousand thousand foot buildings, and you keep them empty, <laughs> so people can yeah. pay cash and make sure that that asset is secure. When everything else goes to hell, you'll have that asset. It's really interesting. It's it's kind of if you think about it, it's sort of the pre. It's it's like a a, an, a precursor to Bitcoin. Yeah, cryptocurrency. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Very much so. It's inter It's really intriguing, and in fact, I mean, it, 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 I, I have this paranoia about cryptocurrency that I just I never could be comfortable enough to in, invest in it, right? Yeah, and that's I probably a good thing that. now. Uh, <laughs> but but you know, this whole idea of what money actually is now, you know, it's no longer a physical thing. Money is this abstract, and when it became an abstract, it became very easy to manipulate. <laughs> Yes. So that's very cool. So that okay. So you've man, it's uh, there's all kinds of things that are feeding into your uh, your book here. So what's the uh, kind of general story? What like how does well, how the, does uh, Duck get involved in all this? The thread. Um, it just it, it wasn't just uh, the the inspiration wasn't just outrage looking at these buildings. Um, the uh, <laughs> kind of the the seed or the hook, if you will, of of the story. Oh, um, it, it came about because I was reading and it's, it's amazing to me how these stories, um, kind of stopped even, even despite these crazy protests, um, in Hong Kong, these stories have kind of trickled out, um, trickled out of the, uh, at least the American media of, uh, of these kidnappings on, in mainland China where, um, you know, Chinese or Hong Kong booksellers were getting abducted, um, because they were selling things that the, uh, the party didn't like. And they would just, the, these guys would just vanish for, an untold amount of time. And then when they came back, they would say nothing about what happened. They'd stop selling the offensive books. And, um, you know, th these are, these are booksellers who ultimately aren't all that powerful in the, in the scheme of things, but it does happen with some regularity in uh, mainland China, where one of, one of the, um, the richest men in, in China who was famed, he was like a billionaire in his twenties. He was this super genius guy who was tasked with investing the, um, the, the riches of party members yeah. and he was taken out in the exact same way I describe in, uh, in my book, he was taken out of his private residence in the Hong Kong four seasons, um, 
drugged, taken out the front door of the hotel and uh, in a wheelchair and not seen again. <laughs> and um, wow. it was in the New York Times, I think, two years ago, February, something like that, maybe even three years ago. And if you search it, I, and I've searched it quite a bit, you, you can find very, very little on it. And wow. this, it, it, it is remarkable, but maybe it, it shouldn't be so remarkable, maybe particularly when we're talking about Jeffrey Epstein and, and the, um, yeah. the way that the very rich get away with things and they're just, they're, you, you can't find stuff about it. And that to me um, was really the seed of the story, combining these, um, the, the super talls and, and placing a guy who was um, a hedge fund billionaire at the very, very top and was an investor to, to even more powerful people. And he was taken out his front door. And when that happens, the, you know, you don't go to the FBI, you don't go to, um, to the NYPD. Um, you probably shouldn't go to an unlicensed private investigator either. But um, the, the guy's 17 year old daughter, um, she would, you know, they, the family was told, do not say anything and it'll be back soon. The, the mother and the family accepts that the daughter can't because she's a willful 17 year old. And she seeks out my protagonist duck. Um, she knows of him because um, a kid at her school, which is the, um, the plot of my second book, um, he, he helped save him, helped save a, a kid. So she knows of him in a in kind of a vague way. Um, and she kind of recklessly seeks him out for lack of anyone else to seek out and um, convinces him by doing what a rich girl will do and offers him a, a dumb amount of money for what seems like a very small amount of work. And, uh, yeah. and Duck's take is, okay, I can, I can ask around and make a, make a few bucks and I'll, I won't get anywhere. Um, you know, the, these things don't work out. Yeah, the heart of every good hard-boiled detective novel, the yep. easy money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. I'm definitely picking this up because I, you know, I, ha I have to know what happened. I have to know how this, how this turned out. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, it was, a, it was a lot of fun to yeah. write. I'm, uh, I, I, I know there's like a, um, and they're, they're both, they're both perfectly fine ways to go about it. But I know there's kind of a division between outliners or seat of the pantsers in terms of yeah. writing uh, yeah. our genre. And uh, I'm definitely a seat of the pantser. Um, yeah. And for the only reason that I just, I want to see what happens myself. I just, mm -hmm. I, I would find, I think I would find it boring to outline because I already know what happened. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, you got to be your own first reader in my mind. Yeah. yeah. So I, I love being surprised myself and then going down completely wrong direction and it makes the rewrites a lot harder and a lot more um, time consuming. But mm -hmm. I guess it's just where you, where you want to um, take on the, uh, the baggage of the real work. You can front load it and make an outline and then your draft will probably be in pretty good shape or you can back load it um, where I do and write a really terrible first draft and end up having to uh, rewrite like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so uh, to me anyway. So you did pants this novel too. Uh, yeah, always. I mean, I just, yeah. maybe if I, if I shift to, um, I don't know, if I were to do like historical novels or something like that, a, an outline would probably be necessary, but writing in the present, writing in the present tense and um, writing in the first person, I just, I don't see how I could outline yeah. it. It would stop being fun. I mean, I don't, I'm, I've been a pantser my whole career. I can't, I've tried outlining. The books always fail. 
uh, <laughs> when I do that, which is not to, I, I hate, I always hate kind of downing on outlining because there are just some folks who just cannot write unless they've got that outline. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those people are amazing because I, yeah. I, I don't understand. Our brains work differently. Yeah. I'm sure you're a fan of Dennis Lehane. Um, yeah. But he, um, he had this, this quote where he's been a see the pantser with every one of his books ex, except, um, is it shelter Island? The, um, one on the uh the, the mental asylum that mm-hmm. uh the one that, yeah um, like a, uh wasn't that like uh uh leonardo uh, yeah DiCaprio? yeah started so he he said he he's done seen the pants on every one of his books except that one because that one required an outline yeah and he said he absolutely hated writing it he hates <laughs> the book he said that he's happy that it's successful obviously you're not gonna turn down martin scorsese to make a book and right. or make a movie um but he He's he said that like of all his his work, he absolutely hates that one because he had such a miserable time writing it because yeah. he did not outline. Yeah, um, maybe we all be so lucky to uh, write a successful book like that and hate it. But I know, but what what a what a black eye. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, so yeah, <laughs> I hate outlining, but that one book made me. Well, it happened to some millions of copies and <laughs> to a blog <laughs> But I, I, did, I, I, I find that I, I find that really funny because, uh, you know, you, 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 everybody has like their own kind of personal relationship with their, their books. Like they, yeah. they become, <clears throat> uh, you know, in a, in a cheesy way family to you. So it's, it's, it's funny to, to look at a guy who's basically yeah. cheating what I've, really what I've been finding out. lately is that, um, so my, my, my plots are becoming more complex, right. As I go on and write more thrillers and what I've started doing is writing the whole book and then looping back and adding the complexity parts. So yeah. I know how it's going to end now. So basically I'm outlining, I'm, I'm just outlining in, in a uh, long it's the form. first draft, even though right. it's, but yeah, it's, I, I guess <laughs> the two aren't really so different. It's kind of a, uh, um, it's it's a distinction that doesn't even need to be made because ultimately a first draft is an outline, whether you call it that or not. Right. Um, my my second um, second book, Against Nature, um, and I really I, I really am am proud of the way I ended up fixing it and uh, and the way it ended. But the first draft, I I went on a fifteen thousand word tangent. Um, that I, I guess I had to do to figure out the right way. But yeah. um, when I went back and I, I gave it a break and um, after you fin- I finished first draft, I tried to give it a couple weeks anyway um, before going back with fresh eyes. And the first draft was about 120,000 words. And I literally just had to like delete the final 15,000 words, which was right. really, really painful because you, know, you sweat over that. And it's, it's the yeah. third act. To me, anyway, is always the hardest. Yeah. And to go through it and realize that you just, I got it totally got wrong. It. <laughs> you have to trim, like, trim fat. Like, I want the fat. Yeah. And the it, fat it, was it, the fun I, part. I'm fine with, with <laughs> trimming fat here and there, but going through and saying, fuck, the last 50, last 50 pages are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, it'll start, you know, at, at 100,000 words or so, which is still a, a relatively long book. Um, and then having to, to find a new way. It, I mean, it's, it's makes good bonus material. You can polish that up, put it on your website, bonus, bonus chapters or, oh, yeah. no, it was, I, I was, I was researching like, <laughs> that bad. like right. why and, uh, that, um, 
like how, how to melt a body and, and how like the, the bones would disintegrate and yeah. all this stuff was for now. Maybe it'll come back at some point. And be- oh, it will. It will. That stuff. And, and none of that's easy, by the way, the melting a body after I've had to look into this. Like, it's, it's really not an easy thing to get rid of a body. It is not man to, to eliminate a body without a trace. Yeah. Almost impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I applied. Yeah, our you and I probably have very similar search histories that have us on very similar watch lists. You you ever worry worry about that with uh, I do search search history. I do. You know, uh, I I occasionally follow Google searches with. Uh, I'll do a search for phrases like "Hi guys, I'm an author. Please don't come after me. I'm just looking something up." You know, just to just in case. You know, like if they go yeah. f- hunting through my search history. They at least find a little note from me. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a, a recent one you'll like, and it's it's come in handy. But uh, speaking of getting rid of bodies in the in the most efficient way, mm-hmm. look into uh, pet crematoriums. Yeah, go to, go to a shady vet because yeah. pets need to be cremated too. Right, and uh, you can bribe a shady vet to uh, to use the crematorium when uh, when the vet's closed. Right. Yeah, I I used that exact scenario in a novella I wrote uh, early on, and I, I've been thinking about bringing it back for later. Uh, but yeah, you're right. There's all, and there are other ways to. Well, no, we're not going to get into a how-to on how to <laughs> how to dispose of a body. It's theoretical. <laughs> Theoretically, well, I thought I thought about body farms. Okay, like if you were to if you can somehow gain access to a body farm. Mm-hmm. then uh you know basically you could put this thing out there in plain sight you know yeah. uh so yeah there's a there's a whole lot of but those are well protected i've discovered and to the point of being in secret locations so really mm-hmm. uh not always but yes there's some around me uh, there's a couple a couple in my general area that i've been trying to track down because i, I want be a, a google search for later that'll yeah Put put me put us on even more uh, yeah, exactly. watch <laughs> Well, I went on Google Earth, uh, uh, Google Maps, and used Satellite View to try to find one. Did you find it? I think I've found it. I think yeah. I have found it, and that's so. Um, it's research, right? So, uh, yeah. we'll see what ha- comes of that. They're very uh, they're very protective of those for good reason, for, because they don't want people using them as dumping grounds for bodies. That's exactly what that's about. It makes very good sense. <laughs> <laughs> Probably want to keep those locations uh, quiet. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we're at time. Um, uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you, man. I, I, I love talking to fellow, fellow thriller authors. Yeah, me too. I probably lean more towards thriller authors on this show than I should, because but uh, it's my show. I get to do what I want. Yeah. Um, tell everybody. Well, okay. First, when, when did you? The book's coming out in September. It's well. The uh, it, it's on the back. It says September, but it's weird quirk of publishing where it's, it's the Tuesday before. Yeah. So it's uh, the release date is August twenty uh, seventh, which is the last Tuesday in August. Okay. I don't know why they do that? But uh, I think I used to know why they did that, but it does, I don't think the reason makes any sense anymore. because I've never got it. It comes out in September, but not really. It comes out in the August. Yeah, I think so. it's a. Sh- I think it's really kind of a shipping thing uh, to make sure it's in all the storefronts uh, by its release date. 
Okay. I, I don't remember. But uh, anyway, I'm sure somebody listening knows. I got a lot of people who were in the traditional world who know. Uh, all right. Well, where can people find you and find the book and find everything else about you? you? Can, uh, find me at CaseyBarrettBooks.com. And um, I'm on Instagram with regularity. Um, I technically have a Facebook and Twitter page, but I never, ever use it. I'm almost That's- useless with social media aside from Instagram. Yeah. Um, but I am on email and I'm on uh, my site plenty and on Instagram all the time. Excellent. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you stopping in. Thank you so uh, much. You Here's got it. Out of a uh, tower of songs. Tower of songs. With brilliant yellow cover. Thank you. I like Just it. Can't wait to see it. Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, if you're, uh, if you're still here, I know you are still here. I shouldn't have even said it that way, but uh, right now, you're probably here in the Groovy Bridge music. You may dance and place it well. Stick around. We're going to have a little bit of something-something after the uh, – I'm sure there's an ad rolling up. So I'll see you all on the other side. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Casey Barrett uh, and took something useful away from it. <laughs> so, uh, now we are um, – now we're at the end of the show. I got – so many, uh, so many sad things to say. No, uh, no, nothing sad to say. We, uh, I hope that you are, uh, I want you to continue to tune in, by the way. We've got a lot going on. There's going to be a lot going on in the near future, uh, for me, uh, for this show, for Draft to Digital. Uh, it's just a bizarre, bizarre world now, uh, for me. And a lot, a lot is changing, and I'm having to kind of refigure some things out. Uh, one of those things is, of course, uh, broadcasting from the road. So um, make sure that you are uh, tuning in because it's, it's bound to be an adventure. <laughs> I've already had one uh, DDD Live just sort of, I kept dropping out of the conversation uh, through the whole thing. So uh, working on uh, resolving that. So anyway, you're going to hear me talk about these things for a while. So get, get ready. <laughs> We got more stuff coming up uh, in the near future, though. I got a lot of interviews in the can uh, that did not have the technical glitches that I am bound to have going forward, uh, so you can rest easy. Uh, make sure you're tuning in, by the way, to DDD Live. You go to DDD, D2D Live. That's D, letter D, number two, letter D, live.com. Uh, if you go there, um, you'll be able to see a countdown for the live shows that we're having. We've been doing a DDD spotlight every day, and we're planning to try to continue doing that through the summer. Uh, it's, it's one of those challenges I gotta gotta deal with. So, <laughs> but me, it's me, uh, Mark Lefave, and Dan Wood, and we've been covering things uh, pretty well, talking to the uh, talking to the influencers of the industry. So. Uh, you'll get some uh, the inside scoop on how things are working. And make sure you're checking out IndieAuthorBlueprint.com. That's me and Roland Denzel, and we are uh, we're, we're kind of pulling together all the best stuff we can find online. And we're going to be creating uh, some new materials. There's going to be a lot of stuff available on the site, and uh, Roland is working hard on that right now, I think. So... Uh, and we, uh, that's, that's, that's the way things are going. Uh, my new book, The God Resurrection, the latest Dan Kotler thriller, uh, released a couple of weeks ago and has been doing phenomenal. Um, my book, uh, Quayla Medallion, I put on a special, uh, a promotion, a free promotion, and it hit number one on the entire Amazon store 
uh, for free at least. <laughs> but entire Amazon store is a big deal, no matter what, uh, no matter how you got there. So uh, big things, and I'm looking for more coming up. Uh, got an announcement about author email coming soon. So stick around. Uh, no hints. I'm not going to let you know anything about that, but you're going to want to hear uh, what's happening. It's going to be big news. That is it for this week, and uh, thank you so much for being a part of the Wordslinger podcast, especially as we're getting uh, getting on the road, going through this little transition. Uh, it's a rough world out there right now, uh, with with uh, not just with COVID, uh, but with the uh, the riots. Um, racial tensions are high. This is a this is a scary, uh, difficult time to be in. Um, but it, this sort of thing in our history has usually hailed some sort of big positive change. Um, and there are hopeful things out there. Look at the SpaceX launch. First time a commercially built spacecraft has exited the atmosphere uh, to take human beings to the International Space Station. is the first time in history that that's happened. And the first time since 2011 that an American-made uh, spacecraft has actually been launched and uh, into, uh, you know, outside of our atmosphere. <laughs> so I was thinking about that because there's like, there's been satellites and things. Maybe it's a manned uh, spacecraft. So, but that's exciting stuff. That's hopeful stuff. And there's a lot more out there. And I'd like for us to continue focusing on that rather than the uh, scary things, the negative things that can be happening. Let's do our part uh, in the world to make the world better. Uh, that's the best we can do right now. Uh, the riots and the protests and that sort of thing, um, there's a place for protesting. There's zero place for rioting and looting. Um, you know, I don't know. Your opinion may vary. I've seen a varying... I, I'm shocked at some of the varying opinions on this online, frankly. But uh, my, my stance, my firm stance, will always be uh, there's no excuse for violence um, and uh, theft and the just thuggish behavior of the people who are um, understandably upset and angry, uh, completely justified in their anger and completely justified in uh, what they're feeling, just not justified in their actions. So that's my stance. Um, take that for what it is. It's worth practically nothing. So uh, anyway, God bless you. Take care of yourselves out there. If you're in one of these rough areas, um, stay stay home, stay indoors. I mean, that's the best advice anybody can give you right now. And Focus on positive things, and I hope, I hope this show uh, can be one of those for you. God bless you. Take care. I'll see you all next time. Wordslinger.